I think it's great that uh, Shane and Karen are getting to visit the Holy Land. I always encourage a church to send uh, their pastor to to an international trip, and I say you can even send them a message by making it a one-way ticket if you want. <laughs> as uh, as Don was mentioning, we are we are headed for a change. Last time I stood before you, we were we were going to look at Europe as a possible ministry site, and never felt right about that. And really felt God leading us to the heart of the Middle East. And the reaction I've gotten about that when I've shared it with people has been very interesting. And actually not one that I expected. And I'm constantly getting the question, why? Why would you do that? You know, after, after so many years in Latin America speaking Spanish and having a successful ministry, to go to the Middle East, you know, why would you want to go over there? And I'm going to address that a little bit this morning, but also we're going to be looking at the, at the very purpose of the church while we do that. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10. And so if you want, I don't think we have it on the screen this time, so you're actually going to have to use your Bible. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10, and we're going to see how God works in, in uh, this particular situation that is actually very similar to what we're facing and then the situation that the church is facing today. So we're going to start off in Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at, start off with verses 1 to 8. It says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And what what, what I'd like you to notice in that is here we have God working in the heart of Cornelius before he even receives a messenger. So we see God preparing the heart of those that that he he is preparing to receive his message later. Who is Cornelius? Number one, he was a Gentile. And you might recall in those days, the Gentiles and the Jews didn't get along, still don't. And he was part of the Italian cohort, so he was, he was an Italian military man. And so here's what happens. So entering this unique time in history when, when uh, we had people that believed in God but hadn't really heard about Jesus yet, we have Cornelius, who was a God-fearer, believed in God, but had yet to hear about the Messiah. And so to prepare him to receive this message, God sends an angel. And the angel tells him to go, go and uh, get Peter. Now, I have a question for you, something to think about. The angel's right there. Wouldn't, have, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been easier for the angel just to say, by the way, Cornelius, you know, you've been praying to God, he's heard you, and you know what? The Messiah has already come, his name is Jesus. That would have been a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Angel could have taken care of it right there, boom, done, Cornelius, new believer, let's go home. That's not how it happened. Why? We'll hold that question for a little bit. We'll get there. 
But God, you see what we, what we have here is God preparing his heart to receive the message later. And we'll see why. The important thing in this right now, though, is that they understand that God does, takes care of his responsibility in preparing the hearts of others. He's doing his job. He does what it needs to be done. And we see this throughout history, how, how entire nations have been changed when God chooses to prepare the hearts of those that are there. We've seen it. You know, we started off 17 years ago in Uruguay, which at the time was considered one of the most secular nations on the planet. And less than 2% of people uh, believed in God or, or claimed to be Christian. And yet God decided to change their heart. He used a dictatorship and other things to change their hearts. And we saw a movement of, of brand new churches started in Uruguay. And you know, more recently, I've been working in Cuba. Again, if you look at the 1980s, Cuba was a very secular, atheist nation, officially, and made fun of religion. And now, a movement, an unbelievable movement is taking place. And that begs the question, then, where is God working today? What is God doing today? And I have some incredible news that God is actually opening the hearts and minds in the world of Islam. In the Muslim world, incredible things are happening. People are turning to God. One of the guys that I occasionally teach with is named David Garrison, is a missiologist and does, does research. In his most recent research, you can read in the book called Wind in the House of Islam. And he talks about how he did a research looking at movements to Christ within the, within the Muslim world. And he says, from the time of Muhammad until the 1980s, there were virtually no movements to Christ. None. And by movement, he defines that as either a thousand baptisms or a hundred churches planted in a short period of time within a people group. He says, so from the time of Muhammad until the 1980s, virtually none. From, the, from in the 1990s to the, to the year 2000, there were nine. Now, in 1990, a movement was started called the 30 Days of Prayer that's gone out through a lot of churches in which during the time of Ramadan, which starts this week, by the way, and I encourage you to do this, encourage churches to be praying for the Muslim world. You can look up, uh, just Google online, 30 Days of Prayer, and you'll get a calendar in which gives you 30, day, 30 things to pray about during the time of Ramadan. But from the not be and I think because of that, in the 1990s, there were nine movements to Christ in different areas of the Muslim world. Now get this. Since the year 2000, or more specifically 2001, there have been 64, 64 different pockets in the Muslim world in which either 1,000 people accepted Christ and were baptized or 100 churches were planted. 64. Why since 2001? What happened then? Interesting, isn't it? Here's what's going on. Number one, they're in many places starting to recognize what the religion actually teaches. It drives me crazy to hear some of these world leaders talk about how Islam is a religion of peace. It's not. It isn't. It's not. That is not what's taught in their holy book. 
And the average person doesn't know that. The average follower doesn't know that. And so what's happening is, is all these radical groups are embracing the truth of what Islam is all about, and they are rejecting it. A few weeks ago, I was in Jordan and uh, went, up onto the, went up to the Syrian border. And one man, one man shared how he, you know, he, a Syrian refugee had had to escape his hometown. And he says, I came across the border looking for a pastor who can explain to me who Jesus was because I had enough of what I'd come from. So that's one reason why there's entire, these incredible movements to Christ right now. There's a second one. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest, the first time I heard this, I was very skeptical. <laughs> but I've seen it, and it's happening. God is giving visions, visions to several in the Muslim world. And at first I'm thinking, well, that's, I don't know about that. But you know what? It's right here. Look, look at the way Cornelius described what happened to him in verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. God had sent an angel. God had sent somebody, had sent Cornelius a vision to wake up his heart to receive the message. And that's what's happening throughout the, the, the Muslim world. While I was up in Mafraq, we were visiting with one family. And uh, one of the, a Syrian lady came in and completely removed her head covering which basically means she was accepting us as family, even though she didn't know us, well, because we were believers. And she had become a believer as well. And she's telling her story. She said, yeah, while I was in Syria, Jesus came to me in a vision, in a dream, and told me that once I get to Jordan, I will find the peace that I'm seeking. And so when I got there, got here, I wanted to find out who this Jesus was. I was riding around with... Uh, with uh, a guy that was telling me he was having a bad day, and so uh, he, was, he took a taxi, and the taxi driver was just talking to him, and he, he was getting irritated by what the taxi driver was saying because he was asking questions about, you know, about the church and about Christ, and the way he was doing it, I didn't really care for. So finally I said, you know what, you guys don't love Jesus. And the taxi driver said, no, 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 we do, we do, we do. And he, and he goes, no, you don't. And he said the taxi driver pulled over, and he says, you don't get it. You see, Jesus has been coming to me in dreams, and I was hoping you could explain to me what he's talking about. That kind of thing is happening. Isn't that incredible? So God is preparing the hearts in the Muslim world. <laughs> what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility? You know, <laughs> like never before, all across the U.S., we have opportunity. We don't have to go anymore. <laughs> I'm going. But not everyone has to go anymore. God has provided unreached people at our doorstep all across this nation. What are we doing about it? So first thing I want you to realize then is that God is preparing the hearts of those that need to hear the gospel. Wouldn't it be amazing Absolutely amazing if somebody right here in Coldwater, you know, one of our Middle Eastern friends had a vision of Jesus and he wanted to find out what it was all about. Why don't we pray to that effect? God can do that. Let's see it happen. 
The second thing I want you to see, we can look, we can find in verses 9 to 16. It says this, The next day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But that while, it, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. So now we see the other side of the uh, other side of the issue. We see Peter, who's in Joppa, and he gets hungry, so he goes up to the roof while everybody else is, is preparing the meal, and God gives him this vision. And this is a hard vision for Peter. God shows him this vision of this, this blanket coming down with all kinds of animals, things that were considered unclean to the Jews. And he tells them, that's not unclean anymore. Go and kill and eat. Now, Peter was resistant for two reasons. The first reason he was resistant, he'd never had ribs, pork chops, bacon. Can you imagine resisting if he had actually tried bacon? He'd have been, all right, God, yeah, let's go. <laughs> on one of my... On my, one of my uh, visits through Europe, I actually, I was able to visit a, what's called the European, European Training Center. They, they actually bring in Muslim background believers from all over the Muslim world to train them in, in uh, aspects of Christianity. And I was asking the cook, I said, well, what's the favorite food when they come here? And I'm, you know, I'm thinking falafel or, you know, all these different things. And, and he said, pork, they can't get enough pork. You know, now that they're, they're free, they can't do it where they are at home. But when they come here, they want pork. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, no kidding, bacon. <laughs> so that's one reason why Peter was resistant. <laughs> but the main reason Peter was resistant is these Jewish dietary laws so, uh, were so in him, in his culture, in his nature, he could not fathom, fathom doing this. And the idea that it meant to go to the Gentiles, that was absurd. You see, Gentiles and Jews didn't mix. And a lot of that related to, to food. Because when you in any kind of social gathering, especially in the Middle East, any social gathering has food. And so Jews wouldn't mix with Gentiles because they were afraid that any food that, they that would be served would be contaminated and therefore not allowed and would defile them. And so now, so it's not about the food. God is saying, don't let anything, food or anything, prevent you from developing these relationships so that, that you can share the gospel. And you can see how profound this was in, in, uh, in Peter, uh, in verse 28, when he actually arrives, this is the first thing he says. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. 
I love, I actually like the Spanish version better here. In the Spanish version, it basically says, you have no idea how horrible it is for me to enter the house of you dirty people. (laughs) (laughs) Try that one next time you go evangelizing door to door or something. So again, what God was saying here is those barriers are coming down. Don't allow cultural issues to prevent you from establishing these relationships. God had to change Peter's heart towards the Gentiles before he would go. So God prepared the heart of Cornelius to receive it. Now he had to prepare the heart of Peter. He had to prepare the heart of Peter to go. And I think this is one of the reasons why we've gotten a lot of the why questions in Let's be honest. When you hear the word Muslim, what comes to mind? Terrorism, ISIS, Middle East conflict, right? And although it's true that Islam does teach uh, these ideas, the truth of the matter is that the average person who calls themselves Muslim are peace-loving. They're friendly, hospitable. And it's interesting that... Just as we look at ISIS as a typical Muslim, they look, at, they look at Lady Gaga as a typical Christian. In fact, I've got, a, I've got a friend, when he introduces himself, he actually says, I'm a Christian, but not like Lady Gaga. And let me explain to you the difference. God had to prepare the heart of Peter to go. And that's what God's been doing in, in Ladaranai. If you'd have told me five years ago we'd have been heading to the Muslim world, I would have said, you're crazy. You know, bless those that do. But, man, we're doing good things here in Latin America. We're all set. But God began to work on our hearts. And he began to give us this desire to go to that area of the world. And he did it in such a way to confirm it. He, he through Ladair had a friend that was heading that way, and she started reading books. I knew nothing of this. For me, I, at some... Some of the conferences I'd been attending, uh, some of these groups asked me to help them develop training, and I started doing that. And finally, one day, I went to Ladera and I said, you know what? As we're thinking about our future, there's only one thing that gives me peace, and that's to head to the Muslim world. And she looked at me and said, me too. That's why we're going. But to go... It requires, it requires us to have a heart for those that don't know Christ, even the ones that are different from us. You know, it's interesting. Sunday morning remains the most, the most segregated time in the U.S. Work, you know, all, all these other areas are, are integrated culturally. Sunday morning is not. And if you doubt me, look around. Everybody, everybody around has a familiar type of face. And again, with God bringing unreached people groups to our doorstep, makes me want to ask the question that, that David Garrison always asks. He actually calls his organization Wig Take. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to reach these groups? So the first thing I want you to realize is that God is preparing the hearts of those that don't know him 
Secondly, God is preparing us, our hearts, if we're willing to listen to who and to go. And now let's get back to that, that, that question about why the angel didn't just, you know, didn't just tell Cornelius the message. Why didn't the angel do that? And the simple answer is that God uses the church to be as his messenger. God uses the church as his messenger. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he commanded us to preach to the, uh, jumping down to verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So God prepared Cornelius by seeing an angel. He prepared Peter by giving him a vision. But in the end, he didn't have the angel give the message because in his infinite wisdom, he chose a broken vessel called the church to be the bearer of his message. It's the same reason why when when Jesus met Paul on, on the Damascus road, he sent him to to um, Ananias to, to, to finish off the message, Ananias. And the Ethiopian eunuch, when the Ethiopian eunuch was, was reading in Isaiah, he sent Philip to, to bear the message. When the church does its job of making disciples, it becomes the body of Christ. That is the reason why our entire ministry, we've been focusing on seeing new churches planted. In Cuba, that's working with Otoniel. You remember Otoniel came here about, I don't know, a year or two ago. Amazing ministry, amazing story. He continues to lead the ministry in Cuba. Recently, he was appointed to, to now lead a, a, uh, uh, a team to develop missions to send Cubans into the unreached part of the world to see new churches planted. Why? Again, because God, that is the chosen instrument of God to carry out his message. Now, let me tell you something. Today we're looking at Acts 10. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say this in the beginning. Um, last week you looked at Acts 11. So this, in a sense, is a prequel to last week's message. I didn't want to say that because nobody likes prequels. But here's what happened that led up to Acts 11. Here we have God telling Peter, go to the Gentile world. That's not the end of the story. You see, Peter comes back all excited about what happened. You see, Cornelius, and Cornelius had invited a bunch of people to his house. A lot of them accepted Christ and manifested the Holy Spirit. And he's all excited about it. But he gets back to his friends who didn't really want to see this happen among the Gentiles. And they began to pressure him. You don't want to do that. No, 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 they got to become Jews first. And Peter caves. Peter caves to what they were saying and had to, has to be publicly rebuked by Paul later in saying, no, the, the mystery is clear. 
the Gentiles have access to Jesus as well. That cultural pressure is strong. And I'm convinced that this is the responsibility of the church to break through that. I was recently at a, uh, oh, I guess a little while ago, a couple months ago, at a, at a pastor's meeting. And they were asking, they asked me, were asking me how discipleship was done differently in different areas of the world. And in the discussion, two things came out that were quite interesting. They said, you see, they were worried that, that the U.S. church is no longer in the business of making disciples. They're no longer in the business of, of discipling. You know, we give name to it and we do classes, but in reality, we're not doing it anymore. And, you know, this is coming from them. <laughs> and the two reasons came out of that discussion were interesting. One of them was the idea of the professionalism of the clergy. It's their responsibility to do it, not ours, not the, not the church's. And the second one was that the church has decided to focus on courts and politics rather than changing lives and hearts. And it was really quite interesting, the discussion in things like, you know, let's take this baker in Indiana that recently, you know, had, had to stand up for not providing a cake for a, a homosexual marriage. The Christian response was this huge support. Let's fight this in politics. Let's fight this in the court. But you know what? If the church had been doing its job all along and making disciples, this never would even have been an issue. It never would have even come up. Think about that. So here's to leave with this and to remember. God is preparing the hearts around you. God is preparing hearts even within these communities you thought were impossible. God is preparing their hearts right now. The question is, are you willing to allow him to prepare your heart to reach out to that group, to reach out to these different people groups, to reach out to your coworkers? You see, the church... Peter didn't respond. The church didn't respond. They stayed in Jerusalem, and that's why in Acts 11, the beginning verses, you see persecution. They didn't go out. God scattered them through persecution. That's when they first went out to spread the gospel. God will accomplish what he wants to do, with or without us. It's a whole lot better when he, when he does it with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and uh, we can look at Acts and... Um, what you did in the life of Cornelius and Peter. And I just ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would have us hear, hear uh, and see through your eyes those that are around us and see who you're working on and see how, what part we can play in it. In Christ's name, amen.